0: Ezekiel chapter 26, verses 1 through 21. Like I said before we started our recording, our desire tonight is to cover chapters 26, 27, and 28. Last time we met, we only covered three verses. Now we're going to cover three whole chapters, but you'll see in a bit why that's so. In the eleventh year, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, because Tyre said concerning Jerusalem, Aha, the gate of the peoples is broken. It has swung open to me. I shall be replenished now that she is laid waste. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I'm against you, O Tyre, and will bring up many nations against you as the sea brings up its waves. They shall destroy the walls of Tyre and break down her towers, and I will scrape her soil from her and make her a bare rock." She shall be in the midst of the sea. A place for the spreading of nets, for I have spoken, declares the Lord God. And she shall become plunder for the nations, and her daughters on the mainland shall be killed by the sword. Then they will will know that I am the Lord. For thus says the Lord God: Behold, I will bring against Tyre from the north Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, king of kings, with horses and chariots, with horsemen and a host of many soldiers. He will kill with the sword your daughters and on the mainland. He will set up a siege wall against you and throw up a mound against you and raise A roof of shields against you, and he will direct the shock of his battering rams against your walls, and with his axes he will break down your towers. His horses will be so many that their dust will cover you. Your walls will shake at the noise of the horsemen and the wagons and chariots when he enters your gates, as men enter a city that has been breached. With the hoofs of his horses, he will trample all your streets. He will kill your people with the sword and your mighty pillars will fall to the ground. They will plunder your riches and loot your merchandise. They will break down your walls and destroy your pleasant houses, your stones and timber and soil. They will cast into the midst of the waters and I will stop the music of your songs and the sound of your lyre shall be heard no more. I will make you a bare rock, you shall be a place for the spreading of nets, you shall never be rebuilt, for I am the Lord, I have spoken, declares the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God to Tyre, will not the coastlands shake at the sound of your fall, when the wounded groan, when slaughter is made in your midst, then all the princes of the sea will step down from their thrones, and remove their robes, and strip off their embroidered garments, they will clothe themselves with trembling, they will sit on the ground and tremble every moment, and be appalled at you, and they will raise a Lamentation over you and say to you, How you have perished, you who were inhabited from the seas, O city renowned, who is mighty on the sea. She and her inhabitants imposed their terror on all her inhabitants. Now the coastlands tremble on the day of your fall, and the coastlands that are on the sea are dismayed at your passing. For thus says the Lord God, when I make you a city laid waste, like the cities that are not inhabited, when I bring up the deep over you and the great waters cover you, then I will make you go down with those who go down to the pit to the people of old, and I will make you to dwell in the world below among ruins from of old with those who go down to the pit so that you will not be inhabited, but I will set beauty in the land of the living. I will bring you to a dreadful end, and you shall be no more. Though you be sought for, you will never be found again, declares the Lord God. Now, verse 1 shows us that this prophecy came to Ezekiel in the 11th year on the first day of the month. Now, if you're taking notes, that's 586 B.C. is when this happens. Does anybody know anything else that's happening in 586 B.C.? Jerusalem is being besieged. Remember the, the the third wave of Nebuchadnezzar came in 588 and ultimately finished in 586 BC. This is the 11th year. When it says that, it's Ezekiel counts from the time that he was taken captive. He's been now a captive in Babylon for 11 years, the 11th year of his captivity on the first day of the month and, and, and so on. Now, at the same time, we also know from study, and I won't take the time to show you all this. We'll get to it later when we get to that part but the jerusalem actually falls to nebuchadnezzar on the 11th year of ezekiel's capture but on the 10th day of the 5th month all right and so this is actually this prophecy is coming to him while the city is under siege in the final stages in the final months of the siege of jerusalem remember how ezekiel has been struck mute by god he's not been allowed to preach to the jews or to the captives or even to people in jerusalem And during that time, God is giving him all these messages about the judgment of the nations around him, which we've seen. But now, for the next three chapters, God gives him a message about the city of Tyre. Now, Tyre was a coastland city over on the Mediterranean Sea in the area we know now as Lebanon, in the area of the Philistines, But also, it wasn't just a coastland city, they also had a fortress out in the water, an island fortress that was a part of the city of Tyre as well, which they were really proud of. And we mentioned that a little bit last time we were together, and we'll talk about that in just a little bit. Ezekiel's prophecy, though, about Tyre is tied to Tyre's attitude towards Israel's judgment. Look at verse 2. It says, Son of man, because Tyre said concerning Jerusalem, Aha, the gate of the peoples is broken. It has swung open to me. I shall be replenished now that she is laid waste. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I'm against you, O Tyre, and will bring up many nations against you as the sea brings up its waves. And so what he says is, because of your attitude about the destruction, remember, God's destroying Jerusalem himself because of their sins, but because the Tyre folks of Tyre were like, Hey, that's awesome. We're so glad they're getting destroyed. And we're going to now take over that land. Because that was their attitude, God said, I'm going to bring a judgment on you. But don't miss this. He said it's not just going to be Nebuchadnezzar. It's actually going to be waves of nations that have come. We don't have time because of all that we need to cover tonight. But if you were to write this down and go look at it later on, the whole chapter 23 of Isaiah is talking about the first wave that actually happened prior to this. The Assyrians attacked uh, the city of Tyre uh, uh, for quite a bit in the late 600s prior to this, late 600s B.C., and chapter 23 of Isaiah talks all about that. The next wave, though, is the prophecy that Ezekiel's talking about, and we see here that the next wave is going to be the Babylonians, how he said he's going to bring Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon down from the north, and they were going to do all this stuff. Well, the Babylonians came in 585, the very next year. Remember, 586, they finished the destruction of Jerusalem. They just keep coming on south or west, if you will, from there, and and destroy. From 585 to 573, um, they actually attack Tyre, and they destroy all the coastlands. Babylon was able to destroy all the coastland cities, but they weren't able to conquer that fortified fortress island of Tyre out in the the ocean. Anybody have any idea who was able to conquer them? It wasn't Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the one who came and did the coastlands, Right, for 13 years after him came. Alexander the Great used the rubble. Exactly. And, that's exactly, and we're going to talk about that, Duke, how Alexander the Great was the one that came next. Remember, Greeks, the Greeks came into power. Alexander the Great came. He took the rubble from the cities that were destroyed by, by Nebuchadnezzar and he threw it into the ocean and built a causeway out to the island so they were felt they were protected. He took all the rubble from the city, threw it in the water, and he built a road out to the island fortress. Let me show you something kind of cool in your Bible here. This was written hundreds of years before that. And by the way, what Duke brought out is historically very, very well known. It's a famous battle strategy, if you will. But look at verse 7. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I will bring against Tyre from the north Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, King of kings and with horses and chariots and all that. So he's talking about how he's going to bring Nebuchadnezzar. Look at verse 9. He will direct the shock of his battering rams against your walls with his axes, and he will break down your towers. His horses will be so many that dust will cover you. Your walls will shake at the noise of the horsemen and the wagons and chariots when he enters your gates as men enter a city that is breached. With the hoods of his horses, he will trample all your streets." He will kill your people with the sword, and your mighty pillars will fall to the ground. But then the tense changes in verse 12. It doesn't say he anymore. It says who? They. And this is when the prophecy changes from Nebuchadnezzar to Alexander the Great. You remember how he had said earlier, I'm going to send nations against you, many nations, in waves, like the waves of the sea. And then verse 12 says, They will plunder your riches and loot your merchandise. They will break down your walls and destroy your pleasant houses, your stones and timber and soil. They will cast into the midst of the waters. Isn't that interesting? They're going to take all the rubble of your cities and throw it into the water. We now know what that meant. They did, and they built a road, a causeway out to the city or the island fortress and destroyed them. Now, ultimately, we see in this prophecy, there's also going to become a time when Tyre is no more. Tyre actually, from Alexander the Great's conquer of it, and Romans took, took over it as well, uh, it really hasn't been a major city ever since these destructions, these waves of them. If you were to go to Tyre now, it's just a little small village. And they just name it Tyre. There's nothing really there. But the prophecy we also saw also talked about a day when it would be no more. Look at verses 19 through 21 again at the end of this chapter. For thus says the Lord God, when I make you a city laid waste, like the cities that are not inhabited, when I bring up the deep over you. Now, does anybody know when God's going to bring the deep up over islands? In Revelation, at the end of the tribulation period, remember there's this earthquake and all the islands of the sea disappear and the mountains disappear. At the end of the tribulation period, there's going to be a final judgment on Tyre and the city won't even exist anymore because the waters will cover it because of the earthquake. And in this prophecy, there's a little hint at the fact that he's going to bless Israel, which we'll get to later in our study tonight as we get to chapter 28, But he talks about how he's going to make them go down to the pit to the people uh, uh, who who dwell in the world below, among the ruins of old, with those who go down to the pit so you'll not be inhabited. But I'll set beauty in the land of the living, and I'll bring you to a dreadful end, and you shall be no more. Though you be sought for, you'll never be found again, declares the Lord God. So in this prophecy from Ezekiel, we have already know from Scripture that a first wave of the Syrians had already come and attacked Tyre. The next prophecy now from Ezekiel comes and says... God, because of your attitude toward what's happening to Jerusalem right now, God says, I'm gonna keep sending many nations against you in waves, just like the waves of the sea. And the first wave that's gonna come, or the next wave that's gonna come is gonna be Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar, and he's gonna do all this stuff. But then they, another group's gonna come, and they're gonna take the rubble from your cities and throw it into the water. And as you know, Alexander the Great is the one that did that. But then there's the prophecy about it, ultimately in the end, they were no more, are going to be no more. Now, I want to just take a second and show you something, though, about the history of Tyre, because a lot of us may not know this, but actually, sadly, Tyre used to be an ally of Israel. If you do a study in the Scriptures, you'll see that the nation of Tyre actually was an ally of Israel. Um, We have noticed that most of the people we've been seeing Ezekiel prophesy about, all these Gentile nations, were enemies of Israel from the beginning but Tyre wasn't. Let me, let me just take you on a quick little journey on where we see the city of Tyre being a friend of Israel. The first time Tyre's mentioned is in Joshua chapter 19. Go to Joshua chapter 19 and look at verses 24 through 31. Joshua chapter 19, starting in verse 24. Here we see the, uh, the allotment of the land, and this one we're going to see the, the boundaries of the tribe of Asher. Joshua 19, starting in verse 24, it says, "'The fifth lot came out for the tribe of the people of Asher according to their clans. Their territory included Helcath, Hali, Betan, Ashfath, Alamelech, Ahmad, and Mishal, and on the west it touches Carmel and Shihor, Libnath. Then it turns eastward, it goes to Bethdagon. It touches Zebulun in the valley of toward northward toward Bethlamech and Nael, and then it continues to the north to Kabul.' Ebron, Rehob, Hammon, Cana, as far as Sidon the Great. We will see them later on tonight. Then its boundaries turned toward Ramah, reaching to the fortified city of Tyre. So you see that Asher's boundary went all the way to the city of Tyre. Now, the second time we see them mentioned, or the next time we see them mentioned, talks a lot about the, the relationship that king of Tyre had, King Hiram of Tyre had with David and Solomon. They were allies with Israel during, during David and Solomon's reign. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 5. Look at verses just 11 and 12. 2 Samuel 5 verses 11 and 12. It says, And Hiram king of Tyre sent messengers to David and cedar trees, also carpenters and masons who built David a house. And David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel, and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people, Israel. So the king of Tyre finds out that David's king, and he sends lumber and masons and carpenters to go build David's palace. As you know, David had the house built first, and then here he was living in his nice house, and he wanted to build the temple for the Lord. And of course, God said, you're not the one I chose. Solomon's going to be the one to build build the temple. But King Hiram, when he heard that David had became king... He sent the trees and the workers to help build his house. Isn't that pretty cool? By the way, has anybody ever heard of the trees of Lebanon? You know, we've heard of the, the cedar trees of Lebanon. That's where it is in that area of Tyre. And that he sent those nice trees and his carpenters to help build David a house. Go to 1 Kings. You're in 2 Samuel. Go over to 1 Kings chapter 5. 1 Kings chapter 5. Look at verses 1 through 12. It says now Hiram king of Tyre sent his servants to Solomon when he heard that they had anointed him king in place of his father for Hiram always loved David and Solomon sent word to Hiram you know that David my father could not build a house for the name of the Lord his god because of the warfare with his enemies surrounding him surrounded him until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet but now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor misfortune, and so I intend to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. As the Lord said to David my father, Your son, whom I will set on your throne in your place, shall build the house for my name. Now therefore command the cedars that cedars of Lebanon be cut for me, and my servants will join your servants, and I will pay you for your servants such wages as you set. For you know that there is no one among us who knows how to cut timber like the Sidonians." As soon as Hiram heard the words of Solomon, he rejoiced greatly and said, "'Blessed be the Lord this day, who has given to David a wise son to be over this great people.' And Hiram sent to Solomon, saying, "'I have heard the message that you have sent to me. I'm ready to do all you desire in the matter of cedar and cypress timber. My servants shall bring it down to the sea from Lebanon, and I will make it into rafts to go by sea to the place you direct. And I'll have them broken up there, and you shall receive it, and you shall meet my wishes by providing food for my household.'" So Hiram supplied Solomon with all the timber of cedar and cypress that he desired. While Solomon gave Hiram 20,000 cores of wheat as food for his household and 20,000 cores of beaten oil, Solomon gave this to Hiram year by year. And the Lord gave Solomon wisdom as he promised him. And there was peace between Hiram and Solomon. And the two of them made a treaty. Not only did Hiram send the wood for David to be able to build his palace and his house, Hiram, the king of Tyre, sent the the lumber and the timbers Or the temple, help build the temple. They were an ally. Go to First Kings chapter nine. Go look at verses twenty-six and twenty-seven. 1 Kings 9, verse 26, King Solomon built a fleet of ships at Ezion-Geber, which is near Eloth on the shore of the Red Sea in the land of Edom. And Hiram sent with the fleet his servants, seamen who were familiar with the sea, together with the servants of Solomon. And they went to Ophir and brought from there gold, 420 talents, and brought it to King Solomon. So as Solomon's in in, in enlarging his territory and starting to trade. And he gets all these ships, and he gets them, and he has them built, and they're put in the Red Sea. Hiram sends his, his seamen, his, his guys that know how to sail the ships, because Tyre was on the ocean, and that's one of their major things that they did. He even helped Solomon out in that, and they helped, went out and got gold and all this stuff. Now, I share this with you for a reason. Tyre was an ally of Israel. But then they changed their mind. A new king came in. Others came in and they changed their attitude toward Israel. Folks, pray for our country. We've been an ally of Israel, but we're slowly changing in our view. And I believe the scripture shows that we won't be an ally of Israel in the end. But while we're still here, the Bible says we're supposed to be salt and light and slow the decay. So be praying. Pray for our leaders. Pray for our government to be pro-Israel. Because what does God do to a nation that was an ally who changes their mind toward Israel? Judgment. Brings judgment. And we see that. And God said, because of your attitude toward Israel, I'm going to bring judgment on you and bring waves against you. Go to Amos chapter 1. Amos chapter 1, look at verses 9 and 10. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Tyre and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they delivered up a whole people to Edom and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. So I will send a fire upon the wall of Tyre and it shall devour her strongholds. So now we see Amos being used of God to prophesy about Tyre. And But this time the prophecy says the reason that Tyre is going to be judged is because they had a covenant of brotherhood with a, with a certain nation. But they broke that covenant of brotherhood and they sold some of the people of that covenant of brotherhood into slavery to Edom. Now we don't know who that people is yet from Amos and we don't know who the covenant of brotherhood was with. But if you just turn over one page to the left in Joel chapter 3 you'll see... Look at Joel chapter 3, look at verses uh, 4 through 8. What are you to me, O Tyre and Sidon, and all the regions of Philistia? Are you paying me back for something? If you're paying me back, I'll return your payment on your own head swiftly and speedily. For you have taken my silver and my gold and have carried my rich treasures into your temples. You have sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks in order to remove them far from their own border. Behold, I will stir them up from the place to which you have sold them, and I'll return your payment on your own head. I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hands of the people of Judah, and they'll sell them to the Sabaeans, to a nation far away, for the Lord has spoken. Does anybody remember earlier tonight that I mentioned the covenant of brotherhood? Remember how Solomon and Hiram had made a treaty? But then the city of Tyre broke the covenant of brotherhood, And at some point, they sold the Jews into slavery to Edom and also to the Greeks. And because of that, God also was going to be bringing judgment. It wasn't just their attitude about Jerusalem. It was also because of how they'd been treating the nation of Israel. Go back to Ezekiel and let's look at chapter 27. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time in 27 because chapter 27 is just a dirge or a lamentation. It's a song that was written about the city of Tyre and a lament for Tyre. I'm not going to sing it because I don't know what the tune would be, but this would be a song if, if you were to do it. If you want an extra credit, I gave the Tuesday night crowd this option as well. If you want extra credit, next week when you come back, if you could turn this into a song and sing it for us, that'd be great. And uh, any interpretive dance would be good as well. Let me give you a, a little heads up as well. It's going to be tricky if you don't understand ahead of time that in this song, the city of Tyre is described as a great ship. It's not described as a city, it's described as a great ship. Because the city of Tyre and the people of Tyre were mostly seafaring people, the, the song is describing the city as a great ship. But listen to what it says It says, The word of the Lord came to me. Now, you son of man, take and raise a lamentation over Tyre, and say to Tyre, who dwells at the entrance to the sea, merchants of the peoples to many coastlands, thus says the Lord God, O Tyre, you have said, I am perfect in beauty. Your borders are in the heart of the seas. Your builders made perfect your beauty. They made all your planks of fir trees from Seneir. They took a cedar from Lebanon to make a mast for you. O oaks of Bashan, they made your oars. They made your deck of pines from the coast of Cyprus, inlaid with ivory. A fine embroidered linen from Egypt was your sail, serving as your banner. Blue and purple from the coast of Elisha was your awning. The inhabitants of Sidon and Arvad were your rowers. Your skilled men, O Tyre, were in you. They were your pilots. The elders of Gibal and her skilled men were in you, caulking your seams. All the ships of the sea with their mariners were in you to barter for your wares. Persia and Lud and Put were in your army as your men of war. They hung the shield and helmet in you. They gave you splendor. Men of Arvad and Helek were on your walls all around, and men of Gamad were in your towers. They hung their shields on your walls all around. They made perfect your beauty. Tarshish did business with you because of your great wealth of every kind. Silver, iron, tin, and lead they exchanged for your wares. Javan and Tubal and Meshach traded with you. They exchanged human beings and vessels of bronze for your merchandise. From Beth to Garmar they exchanged horses, war horses, and mules for your wares. The men of Dedan traded with you. Many coastlands were on your were your own special markets, and they brought you in payment ivory tasks tusks and ebony. Syria did business with you because of your abundant goods. They exchanged you for your wares, emeralds, purple, embroidered work, fine linen, coral and ruby. Judah and the land of Israel traded with you. they exchanged for your merchandise wheat of mineth and meal, honey, oil and balm. Damascus did business with you for your abundant goods because of your great wealth of every kind. Wine of Helbon and wool of Sahar and casks of wine from Uzal they exchanged for your wages, sorry, for your wares, wrought iron and cassia and calmus were bartered for your merchandise. Dedan traded with you in saddlecloths for riding. Arabia and all the princes of Kedar were your favorite dealers in lambs and rams and goats. In these they did business with you. The traders of Sheba and Rama traded with you, they exchanged for your wares the best of all kinds. Of Of spices, and all precious stones and gold. Haran, Cana, Eden, traders of Sheba, Asher (coughs) excuse me, and Kilmad traded with you. In your market they these traded with you in choice garments and cloths of blue and embroidered work, and in carpets of colored material, bound with cords and made secure. The ships of Tarshish travelled for Traveled for you with your merchandise, so you were filled and heavily laden in the heart of the seas. Your rowers have brought you. Out into the high seas. The east wind has wrecked you in the heart of the seas. Your riches, your wares, your merchandise, your mariner, mariners and your pilots, your caulkers, your dealers and merchandise, and all your men of war who are in you, with all your crew that is in your midst, sink into the heart of the seas on the day of your fall. At the sound of the cry of your pilots, the countryside shakes, and down from their ships come all who handle the oar. The mariner and the pilots of, of the sea stand on the land and shout aloud over you and cry out bitterly. They cast dust on their heads and wallow in ashes. They make themselves bald for you and put sackcloth on their waist. And they weep over you in bitterness of soul with bitter mourning. In their wailing, they raise a lamentation for you and lament over you. Who is like Tyre, like one destroyed in the midst of the sea? When your wares came from the seas, you satisfied many peoples. With your abundant wealth and merchandise, you enriched the kings of the earth. Now you are wrecked by the seas and in the depths of the waters. Your merchandise and all your crew and your midst have sunk with you all the inhabitants of the coastlands are appalled at you and the hair of their kings bristles with horror their faces are convulsed their, the merchants among the peoples hiss at you you have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever now again we see that this song was a picture of them as a, as a ship but if you were to take and we're not going to take the time to do that and take a map And mark all the cities that traded with Tyre, it would blow your mind. All those ones that were just listed and mark all of them, they went as far as Spain. If you look on a globe, that's a long trek for back in that day. But they were a well-known city, and they traded with everybody. And they were very, very, well, go back to chapter 27. What's the reason for the demise according to chapter 27? Look at verse 3. Oh, Tyre, you have said, I am perfect in beauty. They had become proud of their beauty and their prominence in the world because of their trading powers. Again, I'm going to say something to you tonight. We need to learn from Tyre. Isn't that a little bit of the attitude of the United States as well? We're a multi billion, billion dollar trading power with the globe. And how often if we heard people say, America's never going to go down. We're this, we're that, we're this, we're that. And I'm just going to just simply say, all I really want to pull out from chapter 27 is we as a nation need to stay humble. And always remember that we are a nation that we are under God. If you go back and look at our history and how we even began as a nation, a lot of people don't even realize it, but Harvard, which now acts like God doesn't exist, was started as a college for preachers. You go to actually to Harvard and you look at some of the cornerstones of those buildings that were built back then and it will even say on the cornerstones, engraved on the cornerstones, that these were buildings that were built because of God and for God and to train people to know God. But little by little, we have become proud in our world prominence, just like Tyre did. I think one of the few things that has even kept us from being wiped out because of who God is and how He acts, is our friendship with Israel, as weak as it may be. And so I just wanted to say to you, be praying still. Be praying. There's a lot we're going to see tonight by the end of our study. There's a lot we can learn from Tyre. Go ahead. A lot of these disasters we, uh, come as a surprise to us. I mean, it has a lot to do with the pride. That they might do that over in Europe, right. but not here in the United States. Exactly. Yep. We're going to talk about that on, like I say, when I preach on Sunday. We're going to be talking a lot about what is God doing with all the disasters and the killings and the things that are happening all over the globe? What is his purpose? What's happening? Go to chapter 28. We still got a half an hour. We only got one chapter left. You guys are in shock. <laughs> chapter 28, verses 1 through 19. We're going to stop at verse 19 for now. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, thus says the Lord God. By the way, the word prince is also interchangeably used as the king of Tyre. Because your heart is proud and because you have said, I'm a God, I sit in the seat of the gods and in the heart of the seas, yet you are but a man and no God. Though you make your heart like the heart of a God, you are indeed wiser than Daniel. That's sarcasm, by the way. No secret is hidden from you. By your wisdom and your understanding, you have made wealth for yourself and have gathered gold and silver into your treasuries. By your great wisdom and your trade, you have increased your wealth and your heart has become proud in your wealth. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you make your heart like the heart of a God. Therefore, behold, I will bring foreigners upon you, the most ruthless of the nations, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom and defile your splendor. They shall thrust you down into the pit. And you shall die the death of the slain in the heart of the seas. Will you still say, I'm a God, in the presence of those who kill you? Though you are but a man and no God in the hands of those who slay you? You shall die the death of the uncircumcised by the hand of foreigners. For I have spoken, declares the Lord God. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, you are the signet of perfection full of wisdom and perfect in beauty, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed, an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were the holy mount, on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire, you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. By the multitude of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. So I brought fire out from your midst. It consumed you. And I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. Now, as we've noticed, chapter 26 was a prophecy about the city of Tyre. Chapter 27 was a lamentation about the city of Tyre. But chapter 28 now is a prophecy specifically about the king of Tyre. Now, if you were reading along with me, though, you'll probably notice at a certain point, it didn't sound like God was talking about the king of Tyre anymore. Now, the the king of Tyre at this time, when Ezekiel's prophesying, is Itobal II. That's I-T-T-O hyphen B A A L. You may recognize that, B A A L. That's Baal. This Itto Baal II was the king of Tyre at this time, and he actually took on the name of that false god, Baal, in his name. Itto Baal II was the king. But as you've just noticed, hopefully, the prophecy is deeper than just about the king of Tyre. God is speaking also to the spirit of the one behind the king's actions. And by verse 11, we see the prophecy speaking more of Satan than the earthly king himself. We see that Eto'bal saw himself as a god. This is the same attitude that Satan tried on Adam and Eve. You remember back in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, when Satan comes and tempts Adam and Eve, and he tells them to eat of the tree that God said, do not eat from. And what does he offer them? On the day that you eat it, you shall become what? Like God. You can become like God. Well, by the way... This is the same attitude that Satan has had all along. Go to Isaiah chapter 14, and look at verses 12 through 14. Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 14. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. By the way, some of your translations would say Lucifer. Actually, in the Hebrew, what's translated Lucifer or day star, son of dawn, is actually the the, the Hebrew word hellel. And I think that is actually Satan's name. Instead of trying to translate, what does Hillel mean, I think Hillel was Satan's actual name. If You notice that the angels that we know that were powerful angels have names, and they all ended with L, Michael, Gabriel. El is the name of God, it just means God. All the angels were created, and they had names that ended in L. I actually believe, and Tony Kessinger brings this out in one of his books on the devils in the details, that hellel there in this passage is the Hebrew word. I think it's his name. Hellel was his name. And he says, how you have fallen from heaven, hellel. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. And as you know, we see from Ezekiel 28. And we've already dove into this earlier when we did our study of the cherubim, so I'm not going to spend too much time on it tonight. But we see from Isaiah chapter 14, and Ezekiel chapter 28, that Satan, Helel, was actually one of the cherubim. We saw, remember, when, when Ezekiel had his first vision of God and the throne of God was there, and underneath the throne of God with the cherubim with the whirling wheels and the coals of fire amongst their feet. Satan at one time was one of those guardian cherubs was there in the presence of God. It was created in beauty and perfection. And because he wanted to be God, he lost his position. And he then went and infected Adam and Eve with that same attitude. You say, well, Jim, I don't have that problem. I have no desire to be God. I don't, wanna, I don't walk around thinking I'm God. Anybody here walk around and say, did anybody say this morning I'm God? Well, actually, we probably did. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because I know everybody should raise their hand. But has there ever been a time in your life that God did something you didn't like and you thought I wouldn't have done it that way? You want to be God. We've all got that problem. Adam and Eve bit and passed it on to all of us. And that's why we have to lay our flesh daily on the altar because we still want to be God. We want to call the shots. We would have determined whether or not the cancer has gone or whether or not the cancer is going to stay. We want to be the ones who call the shots. And every one of us have to be careful because we have that same seed of wanting to be God within us. We probably would never say, I consider myself a God. Well, no, you might not say it in those words, but you do. You want to be God. Every time you climb back on his throne. Every time you climb back on his throne. Exactly. So... God knows how to humble those who fall prey to Satan's ploys. Write this down and look at that later on. I'm not going to take the time to have you go there. But in Daniel chapter 4, verses 28 through 37 is an interesting story. It's a story about this guy, Nebuchadnezzar, we've been reading a lot about. There was a time that Nebuchadnezzar became very, very proud. Remember, God chose to bless Nebuchadnezzar with the ability to be the king of kings during that time. And his nation was the nation that ruled the whole world. And God just chose that for his purposes. But during that time, Nebuchadnezzar became very, very proud. And God sent word to him saying, look, you're going to be humbled because of this attitude. And it wasn't much longer after that. He stood and looked out over his kingdom and he was proud. And God struck him like he said he was gone. He became like an animal And all he did was eat grass, and he couldn't communicate with any other human. He crawled around on the ground, slept outdoors, and acted like an animal for seven years. And then at the end of the seven years, his sanity was restored to him by God. And he got up, and he blessed God, and he remembered, God's God, and I'm not. And God's very capable of humbling anyone who thinks they're a God. Satan, by the way, is waiting for the day he'll meet his ultimate demise as well. What's that? In 28, 2, where some men say the prince of Tyre, and then in 28, 12, lament over the king of Tyre. Yeah, they're the same. Like I say, the, the word prince and king are interchangeable. I understand. I'm wondering if, since that second part is kind of referring, clearly referring to Satan, right, as the figurative king, spiritual king, let's say, Sure. the man who would. And he's the puppet, if you will. Yeah, I, I, I can see that God using those terms for that purpose. I can see that, very sure. But like I said, as much as God is able to humble humans who lose sight of the fact that he's God, he's got a, a day waiting for Satan as well. Don't ever lose sight of the fact, folks, that Satan one day is going to meet his ultimate demise. And just like God is able to, to deal with those humans who think themselves a God... Satan is one day going to meet his demise. And I want to just kind of take you through that because some of us have fallen prey to this wrong attitude that the world has is that Satan rules in hell. You ever seen the jokes and the cartoons about how Satan's in hell controlling what goes on in hell? No. Hell was created for Satan. And hell is not a place Satan wants to go. Let Let me just take you quickly through what I want you to see from Scripture. Revelation chapter 12. Look at Revelation 12 verses 7 through 12. Revelation chapter 12, verse 7 says, Now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan and the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered by him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. At this point, if you remember from our study of Revelation, the midpoint of the tribulation, there's going to be a war in heaven. Satan is allowed to be in heaven right now. You're going to see that Sunday when we look at Job and how when the angels appear before God and Satan appears with them. People have said for years, God can't be in the presence of evil. Well, yes, he can. Satan appears in his presence on a daily basis basis, the scripture says, accusing the brethren. But there'll come a point where Satan will no longer be allowed in the presence of God in heaven. It's during the midpoint of the tribulation where he will come down, cast down to the earth, he'll fight, have his final battle there, he'll lose, he'll be cast to the earth, he'll indwell the Antichrist and he will go on a rampage like you wouldn't believe because he knows that his time is short. And just like God has judged all those nations and individuals who tried to be God, He's going to judge Satan. Go to Revelation chapter 20. Look at verses 1 through 3. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. for a little while. Real quickly, we see that that Satan at some point at the end of the tribulation period is gonna be grabbed and thrown into the bottomless pit for a thousand years where he won't be allowed to to deceive the nations. There are people out there today, churches that teach that we're in the millennial kingdom now, we're in the kingdom now. Folks, is Satan deceiving people still? Uh, Yeah, turn on the news. There's no way he's been bound yet. He's not bound, but that's still to come. But look at verse seven through 10. We see that he's going to be in that pit for a thousand years and then he's going to be released for a little while. And then verse 7, And when the thousand years are ended... Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever." God's going to deal with Satan one day and he is going to be tormented forever and ever in that place called hell. He won't be ruling in hell. It won't be people like people say, I can't wait to get to hell and party with all my buddies. It's not going to be that way. And Satan will not be ruling in hell. Satan will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. Just like God has a plan to deal with those whose attitude is pride on this earth, he will deal with Satan as well. So keep that in mind. Even though he's been allowed for a season in God's purposes, he's been allowed freedom, in a sense, a limited freedom to do some things. There comes a day when that all comes to an end. And we can't wait for that day, that's for sure. Now, we shouldn't also be surprised to see God speaking to the king of Tyre, Ittel Baal II, and at the same time speaking to Satan. People have a hard time with that. They're like, He's speaking, is he speaking to the king or is he speaking to, to Satan? Which is it? We shouldn't be surprised to see God speaking to the king and Satan at the same time. Do you know why? Jesus did it. Jesus did it. Go with me to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, look at verses 21 through 23. It says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So was Jesus talking to Peter or is he talking to Satan? Yes. He's talking to both. He's talking to Peter, but he's also talking to the spirit of the one who's influencing Peter at that time. In this prophecy to the king of Tyre, as he's speaking to the king of Tyre, he also begins to speak to the one who's influencing the king of Tyre. And he's pretty much saying to him, look, I know who you are. I know who's actually doing this. I know who's influencing. That's why we need to be reminded when we struggle in 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 this life with other humans, what does the Bible say? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against these spiritual authorities of evil in the heavenly realms. What's really going on in those times when you have an issue with your spouse, it's really probably not your spouse as much as the spouse is being influenced right now. We're still accountable for our actions as husbands and wives, but at the same time, we need to keep in mind that there's something deeper going on. We need to keep that in mind at all times. There's something deeper going on. When we see this guy in Las Vegas shoot all those people, we've we got to understand something deeper is going on. Can we not all agree at least that much? Something deeper is going on here. And folks, we need to keep that in mind. When we don't understand what's happening in this world, and when God runs his world the way we maybe wouldn't like it, we've got to keep in mind that there is something deeper going on. And that'll help us to keep going in faith. But Jesus talked to Peter and Satan at the same time. Actually, if you were to take a time and study the book of Job, you'll see that as God shows up in the end of the book and talks to Job, and he says, i got to ask you a few questions, and he goes on for four chapters. At the end of the fourth chapter of God speaking, in chapter 41, he describes this animal that our commentaries in our study Bibles say is a crocodile, and it's not a crocodile, The Leviathan is a fire-breathing dragon. If you look at the scriptures in other places, you just do a study of Leviathan in your Bible, you'll find that Leviathan was a multi-headed dragon, an actual animal that had more than one head. Does that sound familiar? Has anybody ever heard of a dragon with more than one head? Revelation. And actually the scripture shows us in Job chapter 41 that Leviathan was an animal that was a fire-breathing dragon. And its tail was, and the thing was so big, its tail would move in the seas and cause the seas to foam. And God says to Job, Let's take a look at this animal that I created that represents Satan. Can you touch him? Is there anything you can do? But I can handle him. And at the end of that chapter, the very last verse, Leviathan is described, this animal whom God killed, the scripture says in the book of Psalms. This animal, Leviathan, is described as the father of all who are proud that interesting he was talking a little bit beyond that animal all along as God's having his conversation with Job he knows somebody's listening he knows somebody's listening and the real battle is between God and Satan and has been from the beginning and folks we have to understand that for a season God has chosen to use us as pawns in this battle we were created lower than the angels. But if we humble ourselves and say, even though I don't understand, even though I wouldn't have done it that way, even though I've been bit with that same bug that makes me want to be God, I will humble myself and say, even though he slay me, yet will I trust him. In those days, the Bible says he's glorified. And one day we will be for eternity higher than the angels, ruling the angels. We'll be a pawn for a season, but one day we'll no longer be pawns. We'll be co-heirs and rulers with Jesus in the world to come I want to encourage you, don't grow weary in doing good. Right now, I've dealt with a lot of Christians, I mean a lot across the globe, who are struggling with continuing. Is anybody getting a little weary of being on this earth right now? Don't grow weary. In due time, we will reap if we don't give up. There's a deeper battle going on, and we see that. Go over to chapter 28 of Ezekiel and look at the last part, verses 20 through 26. 26. We always hear about Tyre and Sidon together, don't we? Well, Sidon hasn't been left out in the prophecy of Tyre. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, set your face towards Sidon and prophesy against her and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I'm against you, O Sidon, and I will manifest my glory in your midst. And they shall know that I am the Lord when I execute judgments in her and manifest my holiness in her. For I will send pestilence into her and blood into her streets, and the slain shall fall in her midst by the sword that is against her on every side. Then they will know that I am the Lord. And and for the house of Israel, there shall be no more briar or to prick or a thorn to hurt them among all their neighbors who have treated them with contempt. They will know, then they will know that I am the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God, when I gather the house of Israel from the peoples among whom they are scattered and manifest my holiness in them in the sight of the nations, then they shall dwell in their own land that I gave my servant Job, and they shall... Sorry, J- servant Jacob, and they shall dwell securely in it, and they shall build houses and plant vineyards, and they shall dwell securely when I execute judgments upon all their neighbors who have treated them with contempt. Then they will know that I am the Lord God. You see that word being used, that phrase being used all throughout, then they'll know that I'm God. Then This is all talking about the very, very end of the tribulation period. That's when Israel's going to know that he's God and that Jesus is the Messiah. That's when the Gentile nations are going to understand that he's God, and then He when he reveals himself to the whole globe, and he brings judgment. Sidon was a sister seaport of Tyre, 23 miles north of Tyre. 23 miles north of Tyre was Sidon. We always hear of Tyre and Sidon together. Um, If you were to go look at Judges chapter 10 verses 6 through 9, we don't have time tonight In the time we have left. In Judges chapter 10 verses 6 through 9, we see that that's where the center of Baal worship was and Sidon was used to lead the nation of Israel astray to worship Baal. And so when God's bringing his judgment on Tyre, he doesn't forget Sidon as well. And when Nebuchadnezzar and those nations came to attack Tyre, they also wiped out Sidon. And God had a prophecy here. But he also promises about the future day of restoring Israel. Folks, let me just say this to you again and again and again. The focus of God's future plan is the nation of Israel. For his purposes and for his glory, because of all his promises. And we need to make sure that we stay focused on the fact that it isn't about us, it's about them And God's allowed us to be grafted in for a season for His purposes, to bring Him glory. But the church age is going to come to a close. The time of the Gentiles, the fullness of the Gentiles is going to come to an end. And then He's going to finish with everything He's promised Israel. And those days are to come, and they're coming soon. Especially as we see the whole globe gathering Against Israel. It's building up. I don't know how many of you have been following what's going on in the news, you've been even reading anything, but let me just tell you things are about to get real wacky in Israel as nations and armies are building supplies to attack Israel when they feel like it's time. It's about to go down, and we need to be praying for the people of Israel. What I want to do tonight in closing, though, is as we've been learning from Tyre tonight in the United States, and we've talked a lot about how the promises or the, 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 the warnings to Tyre need to be heeded by the U.S. as well, I want to take the words of Jesus and learn one more lesson from Tyre and Sidon. Go with me to Luke chapter 10. We've just seen that the Scriptures give three whole chapters to Tyre. The Edomites didn't get that much. The Moabites didn't get that much. The Ammonites didn't get that much. But Tyre gets three whole chapters about God's coming judgment on them. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. He says, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon... They would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Don't miss what Jesus is saying. He, he's speaking to nations or sorry cities in Israel. Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum. These are cities in the nation of Israel. And he says to them, it's going to be easier on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than it will be for you. Wait a minute. We've just been looking at how bad Tyre was and three whole chapters of warning of their coming judgment. Why? Well, go to Matthew chapter 11. We'll look at Matthew's account of what Jesus says here. Maybe we'll get a clearer picture of what's going on. Matthew chapter 11. Look at verses 20 through 24. Then Jesus began to denounce in the cities. Sorry, denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable or tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. So again, we hear, see, we hear a little bit more. Jesus said, if the works had been, that had been done in your cities had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented. So what is Jesus saying? Why will it be easier on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than it will be for Capernaum and Bethsaida? The Israelites knew they walked with ah, they had, because you, they had more light. Yeah, they just Go real quick to Luke chapter 12, our last passage for tonight. Look at Luke chapter 12. Look at verses 47 and 48. Luke chapter 12, verse 47. And that servant who knew his master's will... But did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required, and from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Now, let me just say something at the outset here. In this passage, it's talking about how we're gonna be judged according to how much light God's given us, how much revelation or understanding He's given us. And we'll be judged in, a measure in, in accordance with that measurement. I believe without question the Bible teaches that Sodom and Gomorrah and Tyre and Sidon had enough light to repent. God would not expect them to repent without giving them what they needed. John chapter 6 verse 44, no one can come to me, Jesus said, unless the Father who sent me draws them. God does not expect people to respond and if he doesn't give them the ability ahead of time or the, what they need from him in order to do so. But the Bible does very clearly say, as we see from Jesus' words, that some areas, like you said, got more light. They saw God in their presence. Prophecy was being fulfilled in their midst. God himself was walking among them. And because they received more light and revelation, when the time of judgment was going to come, it'll be easier for Tyre and Sidon than it will be for those cities. Why? Because they received more light from God. Folks, let me ask you an honest question can anybody give me a nation in the history of the world, besides the Jews, who have received more light than us? Hmm? USA and Britain. USA and Britain. Britain, you could be arrested now for preaching the, the gospel. If you're uh, a Muslim, yep. you're honored. Yep. No, it's, it's the, day, the day of judgment's coming. And we as a nation have received the most light. We began as a Christian nation. We did. Whether people want to accept it or not, we did. The reason they came over was to have a place where they could worship God freely. That's how we began. And over the years, we've had much light, many preachers, much revelation from God. But little by little, as we turn our back, things are looking bleak. Between now and when the judgment comes, because it's coming. Be praying, Be praying. Oh, and let me say one last thing to you. If God's been showing you something you're supposed to do, do it. I love y'all. We'll see you next week.